Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming to you from the Cat Cave and War Record Island. Let's Chat is a long-form conversational chat with guests from the worlds of punk rock, podcasting, and pop culture. And boy, howdy, do we have a wonderful guest today. We have Robert Eisenberg of Literally Everything. Uh, so we are actually here to talk about his podcast, Elizabeth Crown. Um, but Robert is also, God, he's actually more known for being a writer and a lot of other things. I'd say writing is probably his biggest foray. And which is this is why this is such a fun episode on a, a very personal level. Um, so I met Ropper about a year ago at the What She Writers Club right here in Rhode Island, the writers club I'm a part of that we, uh, big fan, big fan of that. They're wonderful. They had hosted a podcast listening party, which I was asked to uh, be a part of. And, you know, this was a really big level, a moment for me on a personal level. I've spent more time than I ever have writing a speech for it to, to, to present. Got to meet so many wonderful people. Uh, for so long, I did this podcast by myself in my room. Uh, don't get me wrong, I had a wonderful online community. Uh, been part of network, so I've, I've had a great community throughout the years. But this was one of the first times I started to have doing this podcast as an online thing that started to come into the real world. And... Um, so it was interesting because Robert, he's a name. He's like, he's a legit name. If we were coming to me in any other form, I would be, and a little bit am, like intimidated. Like, um, we're not peers if we're, if we're at the Rutgers Writers Club, if we're there for a writing event, because he, I, I'm not a writer. But in the podcast world, even though he's such an acclaimed writer, his podcast is newer and, and he, you know, he talks about it. It's, it's a little bit uh, more of a passion project. So like all of a sudden him and I were like peers, but you know, he's still, he's Robert. And, um, you know, just, we got along just so well. I love him. I love his podcast. He's just such a great guy and I love his writing. I've been a fan of his work for a long time. I read a lot of the Providence monthlies. I've got to have a, a good opportunity to chat with Elise from Providence media. That's a couple episodes ago. She's a lovely person as well. And, um, it was just cool. I, I he's just he reminded me of so many friends I had in college. Like you know those people that you don't like maybe go out of your way to like hang out with, and not in a mean way, but you just bump into and then you end up talking for like six hours at a party. I mean that's Robert. We've developed this really nice relationship. Uh, you know, especially now we don't, can't really hang out, and no one really uh, can hang out as frequently as we used to. So we text every so often, and we, you know a genuine friendship has been born, and it's it's such a cool thing. Um, this is such a fun episode. This is one of those episodes where we started to talk. And I completely lost track and was just genuinely curious because he's kind of an enigma to me. I didn't know a lot about him other than he's lived all over in different places and just little dips and drabs of information. I'm like, wait, what? So this is so cool. And all of a sudden we started talking and I blink and it had been an hour and a half. Uh, so that was wonderful. It would have been about seven hours if we could have. Uh, but make sure you check out all of Robert's amazing work on roberteisenberg.net. We'll put everything in the show notes and on our website, letschatpodcast.net. You can check out his podcast anywhere you find podcasts, The Adventures, Elizabeth Crown. And um, we've got a few little announcements on our end here at Let's Chat. We've got a lot of stuff happening here, some really, really cool stuff. We're we're plugging along. There's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, the Let's Chat team is myself, Chris Revel, the host. Uh, then we have Chris Ball. Bree Benjamin and Mike Schwartz, who are just the most wonderful human beings, and they have just took the ball running with this thing. Um, we now have a YouTube show called Let's Chat Live, which is a podcast. It's a YouTube. We'll eventually put it up as a podcast. We're going to put it up on our Patreon as a podcast as well, but it's a YouTube live show every... This is every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. EST. We stream it on our Facebook group, our Facebook Let's Chat page, and our face and our YouTube page. 
and we have up and coming people in the up and coming podcasters, people who have been uh, making a podcast and are looking to kind of do what we are too, like monetize and take it to that next level. Uh, trying to find the next up and coming young talent, I guess, if you will. We've had some really fun episodes. The main host are uh, the main host on that are Bree and Seaball, but. You'll see me pop on there sometimes. Mike will pop on sometimes. Uh, so far, see, Ball's been our consistent one. He's been on all of them. I've done a couple. I've been making some really nice, pe- meeting really nice people, making some new friends. It's it's everything we want it to be. And that actually kind of leads into our next thing. Uh, we have started an affiliate program, and we've already got some affiliates. Um, you can check out our website, Let's Chat Podcast You'll get all your information there. Uh, essentially, for a uh, X amount of dollars, we offer services, and we, you know, it's all on the website. We can talk about that a little bit more, and you can hit us up on uh, any of the social medias if we can get into it. But we're we're kind of building that up, and that's been fun. And now we have our merch store. You can find us on T Public, and uh, if you we have a link, if you use our link, which we'll put in the show notes, we'll put it on our website, we'll put it in all our social media as well. Uh, we get more of a cut, so you know, wink, wink. If you're gonna buy something, we got some stuff up there right now. Um, we're gonna be adding tons more. We've got. Uh, you know, you can get T-shirts. There's mugs, keychains. I bought a notebook. Uh, my parents bought my nephew a T-shirt that says "Let's Chat with Chris Revel," and I might cry when I see that. Uh, it's one of the nicest things ever. Um, you know, you can find us all on uh, on all the online. We're Let's Chat Podcast Not Net. I'm at Let's Chat Revel on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I don't know if I have anything else. Well, let's get to it. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, it, it's a lot like being on stage, I think, where you have a light that's shining directly into you and you know there's an audience out there. Yep. But until they like cough or laugh or, you know, respond in some way, like you, you just have no real sense that they're there. <laughs> that is such a good way to put it. And like, I mean, thankfully this isn't streaming or anything. Like I just did like a thing on Friday live and I'm like getting new to the YouTube live stuff. And like, uh, you- congratulations, by the oh, way, I am you. so happy for you. I haven't, um, I, I haven't really dug into what you were actually doing uh, aside from had multiple guests and it was live and I, but it sounded exciting and I'm really yeah. happy for you. I know oh, you thank you so much. It was, um, yeah, it honestly, it's definitely the coolest thing I've ever done. I'll be honest. It was the biggest thing we've ever done. And more importantly, I wasn't my doing it. Um, uh, someone I had met from doing this for like um, Sean Cologne, really nice guy. Like five years ago, he was make crowdfunding for a documentary called a fat wreck about fat wreck records. Mm-hmm. And then we met and then it came out and it's really good. And then oh. like recent, and then somehow unbeknownst to me, he somehow connected, became friends with like Chuck and Brad guys. Mm-hmm. Cause like just a small world. And then in the last few months, like, and also he, everyone knows them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sean's out in Texas too, so that's like he was actually filming a documentary in New Bed New Bedford that hasn't come out yet. Ah. But, uh, so it's just like small world, like oh shit, you know those guys. And then we he came back on again, just like we reconnected. And then I must have gone through like three months of pitching him all these ideas of things I thought, and he was like, no, which mm. is smart man. And then one day he just like sent me a text. He's like, hey, you got a minute? I was like, I got this idea. No, it was something on Twitter. Um, yeah, he 
I don't know. It just ended up happening there. He just had this idea that we should, that he wanted to host a, uh, a punk rock documentary, document, documentary filmmakers roundtable to line up for the release of a guest we were going to have on for that came out Saturday for the, um, the documentary called Beyond Barricades about Anti-Flag. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool. So in my head, it was a Zoom call, but I, I'm not a film person. I don't know how to make movies. And then it turned into like production and he made trailers and, um, I, I'm not even gonna lie, it blew my mind because uh, one of the people we had on there, Scott Crawford, who had made Salad Days, which I had seen before. I was like, oh, it's cool, cool. He made this other movie called Cream, the last American rock and roll magazine. So we're mm. all like, we're doing like our goodbyes. We're like, where can people go online? And Scott being like, oh, you know, blah, 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 I'm making this. And uh, oh yeah, you could catch me on uh, CBS, CBS tomorrow morning with Alice Cooper. And I was like, what? Excuse me? And I was like, <laughs> okay. So it was... Um, I'm, it nearly killed us, but I was really proud of how it, I think it came out well. Everyone liked it. I know we're going to do it something like that more again, but like, uh, it was really nice of Sean to like kind of entrust that within us. Cause it was, uh, as I'm sure you know it too, like as in your, as the creative field, like there, there's not many moments where you get to like visualize uh, a change. Like, you know, there's very few things when you're, uh, when you're making anything where it's just like you're pounding pavement. What, what I always find interesting about that situation, and I, I think it sort of doesn't matter what medium it is, when you do a sort of raw creative project, uh, you know, raw creative product, and you hand it over to someone who can make it look nice. Um, so like the, the two ways I think of that is like the, the designers of the magazine. Oh God! Uh, you know, I'll I'll write something, and to me, it's a Word file or a Google Doc, and then I'll share it, and it's gone. And the next time I see it, it's this fully formed, fully laid out, beautifully presented, glossy page of a magazine. Um, and to me, it's always been magic. Like the it's it's the glory of print as a writer that you you get to see this just majestically laid out thing that just happens to have the words like you know it it could be nonsense and it would still look good um and then the other one is uh uh, working as a playwright for a long time you know you'd write a script and you'd hear it a certain way and you'd be literally talking to yourself at a at a keyboard and then you'd hand the script to a director and after a few rehearsals you go in for the dress and see them performing it and you're like wow who wrote this Yes. so much better than I thought it was. Yeah. Were you, um, are you a creative, like, I'm so kind of befuffled by you. I, I'm sure I, <laughs> my, in a good way. Um, and I, I hope I told you this somewhere down the line at the thing, but like when we went to, so like the, the, when I remember getting invited to the, the studio opening at what's your club, I had not been really aware what it was like, all right, that's cool. And like, it was at that point where like I had thought I, was, I had quit doing this but then didn't quit very well and then was it was in the kind of transition phase when I ended up finding the club and for that godfather part three moment right like (laughs) yeah I actually never saw those but I'll I'll pretend I understand (laughs) you keep trying to get out (laughs) oh yeah yeah exactly and then like I went to the that party uh the the studio opening and some other events and um you know I've lived in Rhode Island now since 2011 Mm-hmm. and a huge fan of like the Rhode Island Monthly and Motif and all of, like the local all that stuff but you know I've always loved the Providence Monthly the ones I like I have so many memories of just sitting at Seven Stars on Broadway 
and like reading it. And then, you know, and that's just how I am. Like when I watch movies, when I do anything, I always have to look at the names of who writes stuff if it's on the internet. So you were someone like, there's a bunch of people, but you were on those people's names. I always just recognized and eventually would like just read your stuff. And like, so it was weird. Like I think I probably played it cool, but it was like, that was the first time I've ever been anywhere. And I was like in a room with like, everyone I would meet there would be like, oh, I'm a retired New York Times journalist. I work for the Globe. I like SNL. I, I, I think someone from SNL was there one time, or maybe I'm mistaking that. There's a guy who works on SNL who lives in Providence. Mm. I forgot his name. He's like been there forever. Uh, but like, and it was just so interesting. I was like, I know who this guy is. I'm like, this is Robert Eisenberg. I've read so many of his cover stories. And like, I've had that experience there so many times. And it's been such a wonderful experience. Cause like, I feel like I've, at least for myself, I always felt like I was on the outside of the Rhode Island creative community because I was in my room on a laptop by myself. <laughs> and now we all are. <laughs> what? It's so, the great equalizer. I'm not even kidding. Like, I can't even tell you the amount of shame I used to feel towards, like, not being in a studio and now, like, Ira Glass is in a closet. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. And but like as you're saying all that stuff about like the creativity and whatnot, like as you're talking about, I think about it's a more recent cover story you did about the pedestrian bridge. And like that cover is so fucking gorgeous. Whoever oh, took thank the photo, you. It's just and then obviously it enhanced your story was beautifully written as well. But like I as you started talking, my first image was like, I bet in my head I clearly have ADHD, so I had two thoughts going on. I was like, I can't imagine writing a story about pedestrian bridge and then seeing that the seeing it full like going from like a document to that like i as a not a writer i don't really know those experiences so it's kind of mm. so interesting uh the design team just blew it out of the water i i love i love every time seeing what uh what the team comes up with um and and you know the there's so much talk about that that cover image and you just talked with elise and you you know how much she thinks about this stuff like, um, oh my but God. then to then to yeah to to be able to write a, a story that tries to match that we're we're all sort of um acrobats in that way trying to kind of catch each other's ideas i i don't know how you all do that and it's um so <laughs> it kind of blows my mind like i guess i never thought after talking to uh the wonderful elise uh major or major uh major major i'm not great at last names <laughs> I, I tend to always over pronounce everyone's last names. <laughs> so that that actually is funny. Um, when uh, during my very brief stint working for public radio, it was really funny transitioning from print, where it doesn't matter what it you know, as long as you spell it correctly. That's that's the extent of it. But then to um, then to shift over to radio, where you need to also know how to pronounce their name. Uh, and it's it's not second nature to me to to ask a person specifically. By the way, how do you say your name? Um, and uh, it's it's thrown me off a, a lot uh, in in terms of you know trying to shift over to audio and trying to remember to uh, you know to to take that into account. Oh, it isn't it terrible? I, and especially like when people have like uh, you throw an accent in there, I'm like, I'm fucking done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and like. I, I have dyslexia, so I guess I just assume I always have the name wrong. I'm like, well, it looks like major, so therefore it has to be major. Like, I think that's right, right, of, exactly. You're constantly second guessing, right? Yeah, because there's no way it could be the what it looks like because I'm always wrong, which is so right. healthy. <laughs> uh, so, are, were you were you a creative? Like, I know we we've we um you know we met at the club as we said, and for those listening, I feel like we've, it's been really cool. We've developed like our friendship 
as well and the people the people would become friends with through the club but it's been you, such a pleasure chris i really enjoy you know just shooting text back to each other like you know three months later stretch out over weeks oh, <laughs> that's uh, totally my it, personality it, <laughs> and it makes like 21st century communication fun you know, it's like the the downside to to this day and age is that you have all these different things that you have to check, <laughs> and and it's like oh, like you know, there's there's Messenger, and then there's my phone, and there's you know, text messaging. There, I mean, there are just all these different methods. And when it's a person you want to be in touch with, it's, it's like nice. oh, look at this new way that we're in touch. This is mm -hmm. great. Um, the, you know, that person pops up almost like an Easter egg. You know. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. It's because it's like, oh, finally, not bills. Right. <laughs> or like a terrible news story that's going to put me in a tizzy for the day. It's like happiness. Uh, were, you, were you a creative your whole life, as I guess you'd put it? Because I feel like for myself, like I'm identifying for the first time, even after doing this thing for like six years, well, actually almost seven, but like up until, up until maybe a few months ago, maybe like a year ago, I would never consider myself like a creative person. And, and I, I did the show and I was loving it, don't get me wrong. But then like semi-recently, it was just having these like moments of just like flash levels of creativity of just like ideas. And it's a blessing and a curse because there's times I can't sleep because of it, which I'm sure you know as well. <laughs> right. So it's like kind of new to me, like like that thing we did, I just did that punk rock doc, uh, film punk rock doc, filmmakers roundtable we did with sean was like that was only the first time i think someone like i'm like oh i'm not used to people pitching me fun things to make this is crazy yeah. <laughs> and like you know it, uh, it can kill you but it's wonderful but it, that seems like now from my interest from what i kind of understand because every time i talk to you you just open pandora's box into something else You're like oh actually when i used to do theater or work public radio or or this or that or every time you say anything the the big thing I think is um, so I have incredibly encouraging parents who are are fairly eccentric and um, the and and I grew up in Vermont which is already an offbeat place and that's right yes uh, I went to rural, college with them. rural Vermont uh, my my town has one thousand people and no gas station and what I town? love to tell people that uh, what's it what town was this oh um, Cornwall it's just outside of Middlebury so I know Cornwall colleges is a place that everyone knows. Um, and uh, it's, it, that was the Shire town and I went to Middlebury High School and all that. Oh yeah. Uh, but I grew up in a, in a house that my dad built uh, in the woods uh, and it's wood heated and, you know, uh, kind of passively solar heated. So like they're, they're just really interesting people. Um, they do make maple syrup for fun. My dad just built a sailboat. My mom is fluent in American Sign Language. She um, has been a therapist. She, uh, she, she started learning to fly and then became a, a piloting instructor for prop, for prop planes. Like they're, they're just really, really unusual people. And they, they themselves are, are, you know, are worth, you know, uh, books could be written about them. Um, and they're also really humble and, you know, really jolly and, you know, all that. Uh, and my brother too is also, uh, he's my younger brother and he, uh, he's a fight choreographer for the stage. So he, he's, he's, he has this recurring gig, like every time they need like a sword fight at the Metropolitan Opera, he goes in to do that. Uh, he, he's just like, I mean, they're, they're all just really interesting people. Um, so in terms of creativity, uh, I was, you know, it, it was just always been, it's always been a very encouraging environment. 
And I guess I went through the usual thing where it's like, you know, when you're, when you're in kindergarten, it's like, I want to be a police officer. And then like, when you're like, you know, like, like fourth grade, it's like, I want to be an architect because I like to draw. And then like gradually those like more practical ideas sort of die away. And the one thing that was very consistent is that I, I was just always writing. And uh, usually short stories and the embarrassing story that I, I just kind of cling to is like the, the, um, uh, the sort of the genesis moment, like, you know, now I want to be a novelist is um, I, I wrote this 50 page story, like 50 handwritten pages on a road <laughs> trip with my parents uh, about a private investigator named Lando Calrissian. <laughs> <laughs> who, lived in, uh, who lived in Port City and like, you know, was, was uh, it was basically just the plot of Dick Tracy, uh, which was a big movie at the time. And, uh, yeah. and it was just, you know, fedoras and, and trench coats and, you know, shootouts and alleyways. And, uh, and I had just such a ball with it. And I just kind of kept going from there. Um, and that was that was what uh, just after sixth grade. So uh, it's it's been sort of nonstop and That's snowballing ever since. Insane because you were fifteen or twenty years before what Marvel is doing now, where you just take uh, <laughs> you just take like a character like Lando and just put it in a different genre. That would work. Right. I, I, everything you said was fascinating, but I'm like, oh my god, I'd watch if it wasn't if we got a different actor that wasn't Billy D. I was like, I'd watch the shit out of that. That would be amazing. Right. Because <laughs> that Dick Tracy movie is um, one of my favorite podcasts. Blank check with Griffin and David. They're doing. Uh, they're on. They they do they do like series of directors. They're doing. Uh, they're doing Robert Zemeckis right now. And mm. I was listening to their um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode. And they were. Oh, it's it's one of my childhood favorites. Fuck that movie is amazing. There was some <laughs> Dick Tracy talk in there too. I was like, oh yeah, I used to love Dick Tracy when I was younger. Like that was like a flash in the pan for like a, a certain age. But like that was like a really dark movie. Um, do, you, do you know the um? You, 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 this is you know movie trivia, but like um, what, one of my favorite aspects of that film, and you 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 very likely know this already, but it was filmed in seven colors. So you only you basically only see seven colors in the entire film because there were only seven colors used to make the original comic strip on Sundays. And that level of care, I just appreciate so much. It's Jesus. like, you know, I, I feel like uh, Warren Beatty just, you know, went to town just trying to make it exactly the project he wanted. And of course it bombed. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, it didn't do very well. No, I know, but like- I loved it. I could still- I don't think I could tell you anything about that movie, but I still have that image of the camera panning in of Dick Tracy and that yellow suit and the camera kind of spins. Like mm. I, can, I don't remember anything else, but I, that shot and that, for whatever reason, that becomes my basis for all film noir. Right, right, I just, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love like I love when TV shows do a film noir episode. I love like I, I I'm not fanatic, but I I do enjoy it greatly. Like Jessica Jones did a good job, or. Um, I Zombie did a film noir episode that I really loved. That um, that uh, one uh, a friend of the show wrote, Bob Dearden. Shout out, Bob, good good guy. Uh, like it's oh my god, it, that's such a fun genre. And the hats and fedora. God, I wish I could wear a fedora. I wish I could rock a fedora. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's 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 been. I mean, just I, I think we're cut from the same cloth. Like it's it's a it's such an attractive thing that kind of pops up throughout your life. Like when yeah. a movie like that emerges you just have to watch it yeah uh, 
and it, who frame it really Roger never goes is, out of fashion. I, I I don't know why Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not more popular within the lexicon of the culture because I don't think it's like kid, younger kids are going to go back and rediscover it as much as they should because that. God, that movie fucked me up as a kid. Cause like I remember it being really scary when um the Christopher Lloyd was gonna kill the shoe. Uh, no, he does. He kills the cartoon. No, he does. Yeah. He yeah. Puts in the the what is the green it? stuff. <laughs> and then like you know, I remember and my dad also a fellow like he creative eccentric cat. Uh, but like, I remember like learning as I got older. He's like, um, actually, it was an allegory for uh, the, the automobile industry. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> It is amazing. It's such a wild plot twist. Uh, I mean, like we, we could talk all about these movies all night, but uh, ba- basically like coming, you know, throughout high school, I was just, you know, writing one, one type of story or another. Uh, and at one point, um, at one point I started experimenting with, uh, with like homemade radio shows. So like a podcast. Got, yeah, basically. Uh, so I, I got my dad's, um, audio cassette recorder and wrote out a script that it was this like comic script uh that was sort of a mix of like dungeons of dragons the don quixote and like i i it was just very very goofy and um and my friend and i recorded it in his in his mom's basement (laughs) and this tape sort of circulated among our friends and it was the first thing that my, certainly my mom listened to. And like, as soon as she got back from her drive where she listened to it, uh, you know, she was commuting somewhere and she's like, sure. Yeah. Like I, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear your work, son. She comes back and she's like, this is really funny. Like these Aww. are really good characters. And I'm like, wow. Like that's, that's so, you know, my mom thinks it's great, but uh, it was, it was, so it was just such an exciting moment. Um, and yeah, as I was, as, as I was composing these, I, toward the end of high school, I was flirting with the idea of studying linguistics at McGill. Get the fuck out, because my cousin Madeline went to McGill for linguistics. And no kidding. All right. It doesn't it's do anything, <laughs> doesn't do anything in that field related. She works in like tech, so you made the right call. So yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I really loved studying languages. I loved the science of language, uh, of, you know, of, of language, grammar, morphology, phonology, all of that. And, um, and it was, it was just something that, uh, that really appealed to me. And then it came between, it, you'll appreciate this as, uh, you know, as, um, the, the sort of, the sort of the way that your life branches in different directions. McGill was one for, for linguistics. And then I also like fancied myself a dilettante. It was, it was a word that I liked, you know, sort of, mm. uh, you know, intellectual with a snifter in his study. Like, you know, that, that was how I sort of imagined myself. Um, you know, I, I had of course never had a job at that point. Uh, so. <laughs> Spoken so, like a true writer. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking of going to uh, St. John's in Annapolis where you read the 200 greatest books of, of the Western canon. Uh, so when you learn geometry, you learn it from Pythagoras in Greek. And uh, when you read, you know, various classics, you read them in French. It was Greek and French, I think, that you learn. And then you read all of these, you know, very famous books. And that really appealed to me. That was, that was very much my personality at the time. And then the University of Pittsburgh, um, and, and I, I hope that some college recruiter is listening to this because I think it's really important. They basically started sending me a lot of mail 
So like every day I would get this new colorful piece of mail telling me about how great their creative writing program was and that it was the oldest creative writing pro program in the nation, somewhat randomly. And, um, and I didn't know where Pittsburgh was. I thought it was in Ohio. I didn't know anything about it. I had never heard of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I didn't follow football. Like, I, I mean, I just had no idea what the city was about. Um, I, I had forgotten that the opening to Groundhog Day, which is a movie I really like, takes place in, in Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, oh, that's just, right. Just nothing, like total mm. blank space. And I show up there the first time and uh, get, get the tour of the campus. And uh, the, they, they call them pit pathfinders. And this guy was really animated and he was really jokey and like just, it was a very welcoming kind of kind of tour mm. and at one point he stopped and he's like sorry guys just a sec and he he runs over to this hot dog vendor uh who who has like big sunglasses and he has this kind of like burnt looking neck and he's like he's also like really animated and the the tour guide says um hey scotty i'm really sorry i wasn't able to pay for this hot dog the other day but thanks for spotting me i wanted to get you your change he's like oh that's cool dog that's cool i got your change right here that's great you want another dog oh. you know he's like just <laughs> like so like full of energy and personality and like coming from small town new england i was just like i've never seen anything like this before this is the hot dog guy <laughs> and like it was just such a fun and speaking of film noir like pittsburgh is like such a you know brick wall factory you know sloping mm. streets kind of town and that just really appealed to me and every step of the way i was very attracted to it so i'm just like you know i'm going to the i'm going to the university of pittsburgh and i'm going to study writing um i only applied to one school i got in like two weeks later and i walked into my senior year my first class with it was ap us history and i just showed off my university of pittsburgh id and basically That's fucked awesome. off the rest of the year because it was like fuck it that was yeah it was just uh it was it was sort of it was so set in my mind that that was what i was going to do and so you were at 60 that's so interesting because it sounded like you had like the two safe choices and then pittsburgh's not even like i mean geographically speaking like philly's far from cornwall vermont but pittsburgh is basically Ohio. It's, it's really far. <laughs> like an airplane um which, by the way, I there's no easy way to get there either. It's like you have to transfer in New York to get to Burlington or you have to drive. Like there's just it's, it's so far. It's never convenient. I've never been. I've had friends, everyone I've known who's so many people who end up there will fucking love it. Is he a Pittsburgh? Yeah, they're, they're, what's that? Are they Pittsburgh? Please. Anti-flag is Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, oh. confuse them with black flag. Oh, okay. They're LA. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so, so I, I had to confirm that when, when you said you were in, in touch with them. But uh, yeah, I was, I was so excited about that. They're, they're like, oh, that's, uh, you know, they go back. I just watched their, because I, I interviewed the director of the documentary Beyond Barricades about Annie Flag, and I just watched mm -hmm. it, and the whole thing was Pittsburgh. And I'm like, oh yeah, it is Pittsburgh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had that same thing, like the fact, you, you and Elise too, like every so often we'll just drop like a band name, like you know what that is? Not in a mean way, it's just... Um, Elise knows her oh, charm. Like, well, Elise knows what she's talking about. I yeah. like my history with music is is a really I have a very checkered past. So. But like um, just looking at her, like just like this crafty, like I mean, you know, that's part of her charm is that she's kind of a Martha Stewart, and then she's like, oh yeah, I love 
I love, and then she'll name someone I've never heard of or something. She's like, yeah, oh, you I never see it coming. Like, it's wonderful. What? And like, she'll talk about the good old days like she did with you. And it's, it's just like, I'm like you know, you violent they were. Life. Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> but by the time I went to any of that stuff, it was, it was like five years before My Chemical Romance was famous. So she was going, <laughs> it was like dirty and druggy and famous I mean, and violent. <laughs> It just always kind of blows my mind. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I've I've never been to Pittsburgh. I've always, I've you know I've seen a many a lot of travel shows about it. It seems so great, but what a good thing to look back at your life and be like, I could have gone this route. I mean, thank God, career wise, you didn't go to that school. Where you just read books because, well, I you know St. John's would have been interesting, but like the one it, in Annapolis, you're talking the one you read the two hundred novels. And Annapolis is a nice town, I have to say, but like, I've, I've never like, been there either. It, Pittsburgh is absolute magic to me like i had no idea what i was what i was in for and i so basically cool. stayed for 15 years 16 years oh um yeah i like i couldn't get enough and like it i i left briefly to go back to vermont to become a staff writer for a newspaper up there and it just the chemistry was bad and I, it just it wasn't uh you know they say you can't go home again <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've gone home many times again, but it's, uh, and found much of, you know, much of the things that I loved as a kid, but it's not the place I needed to be an adult in. Well, I, and, I went to school up there. I know that area very well. Oh, no kidding. Where'd you go? Well, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Green Mountain okay. College. Oh yeah. Green Mountain College doesn't exist anymore. It closed. Oh, that's such a bummer. I not no even idea. COVID related like a year before. <sighs> But uh, before that, I went to Landmark College in Putney. So that's probably where my heart is a little, I know that area very well too, but like, so I was in Putney and Pulteney, but I've spent much time in Middlebury, Cornwall, like a lot of kids, but like, yeah, I, I remember like loving it up there, but being like, I, I've had some opportunities for like jobs I probably wasn't qualified for, but I remember I was single at the time being like, if I, if I end up living up there, I'm, I'm going to be alone forever. And my personality, not Vermont. It was just my personality. But like, so like Vermont's in my bones and you know, I, it's I love great. I love it. There. I love having grown up there, but like it's to be an adult there requires a certain personality. Like you have to love it being really cold. Uh, yeah. You usually have to be pretty like smart. Self-sufficient. Um, you have very to be self-sufficient. Um, and like not terribly, like you don't, you don't need to be social. <laughs> that's what kills me like yeah like i don't want to chop fire like and because i had both spectrums from because of i went there um for college so mm -hmm. i would meet a lot of people from college and some of i like some of my friends in vermont i had some friends who grew up in the very rural poor parts of vermont and then i had um like i remember a, a good friend of mine from college we went to the same college he was from he was from vermont but his family was from elsewhere and they were very fantastic they were very wealthy and like we were in dorset vermont and mm. and a family friend of their house and it was the guy i don't remember the name but the person invented the laugh track for television and had oh so like there's pockets of like of like million billionaires in vermont like parts of little like dorset like right that little area and even like some but then there's also but i also you know had friends who worked as like the security guard in putney vermont at a college or i worked in the kitchen the cafeteria so it's yeah interesting state it was it's i i, I love it but it from you're right it's the social i I, I just couldn't. Maybe Burlington I could have done at a, a better right time, but it would have been too far from my family. Like, but yeah, I'm with you. But so let's track it. So you, so you go Vermont, Pittsburgh, and those are both kind of, well, how interesting that you end up in Rhode Island. I'm, maybe we'll find a stop somewhere in between there. But like, you know, 
Vermont and Pittsburgh are both kind of oddball places, right? Because it's you're Pennsylvania, but you're not Philly, right? <laughs> you're right. Vermont, and, and, but you're not you're New England, but you know what was nice about Pittsburgh, and I I've you know I spent so much time there and doing so many things there, um, and being able to work with other people so much there, like it was just I was just thrown opportunities over and over again, and um, what I what I found is kind of fun about being from New England which I associate with sort of like very independent, especially Northern New England, like these very independent, self-sufficient types of people who, um, who like to do their own thing, sometimes at the expense of being friendly. <laughs> and, Bingo. And, then, and then moving to Pittsburgh, which is a, a, a largely Catholic and Orthodox town that is a, a, an industrial town. And they're used to thinking in large groups. Mm and like neighborhoods and like massive networks and communities and, and just being very tightly knit. And, and I find people incredibly friendly there. So like I showed up in 97 when no one would willingly move to Pittsburgh. Like people were mystified <laughs> like why I, why I would move there. Sure. Um, and I, I sort of weathered that reputation and, and unbeknownst to me, it was sort of going through this Renaissance and now is, is an almost, almost shockingly attractive city like tons of people are moving to Pittsburgh but um, at the time it was it was sort of like you you just sort of make of it what you will and there were times like even as a as a late teenager you know I'd be like 19 and just wandering around the streets at night because like it's such a dynamic topography it's incredibly hilly it has these three rivers it has this just layers upon layers of industrial architecture and like the streets are just completely crazy like so just, you just have like five-way intersections and one of them is a bridge that goes over a valley and like you know with like train tracks running through it and it's like who designed this <laughs> and like just everywhere you turn there was one there was another just kind of labyrinthine thing to explore and for someone in their early 20s um you know, starting as a teenager and going through their 20s in Pittsburgh, it's it's just so um, it's it's like that punk rock attitude that that that, you know, that you talk about a lot yeah. where it's like you you just sort of like throw yourself into the environment and you explore it and you just sort of have to be fearless as fearless as you can safely but um, yeah yeah of course safely yeah totally um, but Maybe not, um, not always <laughs> I've done some dumb stuff <laughs> right yeah no likewise but like but then like you, you start to meet people and you, you like hear these stories that like are, at least to me, were really exotic. You know, it's like old guys sitting at bars where everything is like 50 cents <laughs> and like, you know, they're like knocking back yinglings and, you know, just talking about like their life in the seventies working in a blast furnace. And you're just like, holy shit, like you lived a really hard life. And at the same time, they're like laughing and like, you know, they know everybody there. And it's just this incredibly warm, nostalgic environment. Um, and for a long time, the, the big question mark, which was like the future of Pittsburgh was, was such an exciting thing to, for me to contemplate. Because it was like, this could go in any direction. Like any Rust Belt city could turn into anything. Mm. And it has all of this history and all of this talent and hard work to sort of rest all of that on. And that kind of, that kind of mythology to me was just, it was so, 
it was impossible to leave. You know, I just, I just had to explore it as much as possible. Of course. But then you, you choose, um, what, what, you have a path, I don't know if you have any stops on the way, but to Rhode Island, of all, a Providence of all places, which everything you just described is how I felt about when I first discovered Providence. Like, grew up in really Connecticut. really similar, yeah. Yeah, I grew up two hours away in Connecticut, never really came here, was more of like a New York-Boston person. Uh, like right. Very little knowledge, just shit on it, met my now wife who was living here. I was like, oh, all right, well, I guess we're going to date, and then. Now we're married with a baby, but um, <laughs> but like I mean, I can't even explain to you like when the first time I saw water fire, I it, it, it's like I it's still a, a feeling I feel like I chase after like it's all it, like it's it, like nothing I've ever seen in my life. It's it felt like so, Gotham minus Batman. So cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And but like the whole thing you say about yeah. the the future of Providence has always been a big question mark. I mean, by the time I moved here, like I was living in the Armory, it was. Um, I think the bad, some of the the bad times are pretty behind, so I never saw the old downtown stuff. But I still have mm-hmm. that. I, you still get that sense of providence of like, still can go either way. Like you know, you never right, know. Right. And uh, absolutely, and that's what I love actually with like, especially your work with the monthly specifically, and and everyone there. Like it does such a great job, kind of highlighting all the stuff. Because I grew up in Central Connecticut, and Connecticut for all its all its great things, we don't have any good cultural art cities like Hartford, New Haven, or not places you are just they're terrible like it's not a friendly city state growing up so i was so well i would i don't know if i would necessarily agree with that because like new haven i am most familiar with new haven and oh, yes it, there's it, there's it's, a lot of it's different when you live there it's like why people in rhode island hate providence and people right, like us right. who, yeah it's the same <laughs> thing so i grew up there so take that with a grain of salt i i'm i i did not explore new haven until i actually moved out of connecticut and i'm like why in, wasn't in, i in defense, in defense of your thesis uh and and to tie it back to pittsburgh part of what was so exciting is that like i could bring a bunch of ideas and everyone had this kind of i know a guy culture yeah that could that could put it all together. And it was so cheap. Like my rent for one of, so I had two roommates at one point and our total rent for the apartment was like $650. So my room was under 200 bucks because it was the smallest room. Um, and, you know, we, we had like a backyard and we had this balcony and like, what? got a you know, fairly nice street and <laughs> it, was, it was great. And, and no, I'm, I, I'm not at all. It's it's a, it at least used to be a ridiculously cheap city because it lost one third of its population when the steel industry fell apart. So there was just a lot of property that wasn't, you know, um, habitable by like married middle class standards, but like was perfectly habitable for like a twenty year old bachelor who was you know working in the theater and and writing for the alt weeklies. So, um, so I had a life, man. Oh, it was, it was great. It was, it was just, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. And like, um, what was, uh, what, what ended up happening was I fell in with, with the theater crowd, uh, starting in, in, at the University of Pittsburgh. And then we just kind of all stayed in touch. And every time we want, and that, that crowd, grew as as we left college and we just met like this uh, pittsburgh must have 50 theaters i mean they're just so many theater is so big to it and they're mostly community theaters and they're mostly black box theaters but it's so cheap to find property by comparison Mm. that a place like to drop back uh a place like new haven 
couldn't have all these black box theaters because they would be so expensive or in such undesirable neighborhoods that like no one would go to them or be able to afford it. So in Pittsburgh, it was like totally reasonable <laughs> to find a black box theater and like for a fairly normal person to produce a show. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't necessarily pay the actors. It might be an honorarium. It might be a very simple set. Uh, the costumes might be like what, whatever was in their closets. I love But that. like, fuck it, you're doing theater. And like, it also has like, what, four different theater programs, university programs for, for theater, including, you know, Carnegie Mellon's like renowned <laughs> yeah. conservatory program. Uh, Point Park is, you know, respected around the world. So like all these people are pouring out and it's like, so do I move to New York City and starve and like end up in like, as like the dead guy and, you know, uh, Law, and in Law and Order, exactly. Or do I, uh, do I move to LA and starve and like just pray that I'm gonna end up in like a commercial for a tire shop? Or do I stay in Pittsburgh and do as much theater as I want mm. and, you know, have a total blast with it um, and, you know, become very respected in that small pond. And after you've developed this CV, then you take the risk and spend $2,000 a month in, in rent in New York, you know? Uh, and that was, that was my mentality for 16 years. I was just like, I'm writing for an alt weekly. I have a column and write regularly, you know, all these features for Pittsburgh Magazine, which is roughly the same as Providence Monthly. Every city has one. Uh, you know, this beautiful glossy magazine. Um, I was I was writing for MSN.com about television. Like I was, oh. uh, I was writing for, uh, what, what was it? Um, Spark Notes. They're like lifestyle blog for basically oh like God. nerdy teenagers. Yeah, um, it, Like it was so fun. I had such a good time. And then I would be thrown all of these kind of random things. I also didn't drive for eight years. Nice. Uh, I just like stopped driving. I let my license run out. I really don't like to drive. Uh, and with the money I saved from that, I would go traveling whenever I could. So that I've been to, I want to say it's, 39 countries now wow. and it's always in this like really salt of the earth backpacker like you know <laughs> who I can, can i b that. ride from where does this bus go kind of kind wow. of uh mo um so yeah so that was basically my life through my 20s and then uh early 30s i would say it's um so glad you that travel because i mean and anyone listening, like, you just got to do those things that you got to do. Because, like, if you're in your 20s right now, you're probably not going to be a salt of the earth traveler the same way you once were. <laughs> yes. And uh, but it's also like my so my wife and I would, would do a lot of these trips together uh, before we were married. And we actually That's got okay. married in Costa Rica. Oh, come um, on. <laughs> and, 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 and I have to brag this the whole ceremony, the whole night. If you take away the like the fact that we were staying in a really nice resort, the actual wedding itself cost three thousand dollars. Like it was, it was a dirt cheap wedding um, that relied heavily on people just like you know showing up. Like if you can fly yourself to Costa Rica and stay in this hotel, then you can come to our wedding. And you know, sure enough, most people did. But That's it was really cool. uh, it was great. I, like I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, so we initially did that together. And then after we became parents, like that's still very important to me. So, uh, COVID aside, my, my wife has been, you know, she basically, she basically says like, take two weeks a year, go somewhere. Um, had to skip a few years, but the last one I did was, uh, last year I biked across Taiwan. 
Oh, that's and, so, uh, that's wonderful. That's that's a good yeah, partnership oh, it's right amazing. there. Yeah. Not even just What's the that? travel. That's such a good partnership because I, I just ha- I was just on Saturday. I went to my friends from college and I got together, and that was like I need to just my, my wife and I like I such the, the socialness. Like I just sometimes just need to get away and like you just have to, yeah. I, I have that the bug. I just can't get out of it. And you know if you can't get to Taiwan because you but, or somewhere far, sometimes it's just like a couple states away. You're just like. Uh, I know that feeling, but it's so great that she, you yeah, two are on absolutely. the same page. I really feel, I wish more couples would do it. Um, not to be didactic or to offer relationship advice, but like it's, it's something that we just, yeah, it's just, uh, I like missing people. Yes. You know, it's, it, and you can't do that without space. And this is a funny year to, to express that sentiment, but. I actually find I needed it more than ever because of the whole being home much more frequently. Mm. Or I'm, I'm, I'm still going in every day, but everyone else is home. So, right. so, so sometimes <laughs> I don't feel that need to be around someone because I'm like, leave me alone. I've been around people all right. day and they're, she's working from home. But yeah, I recommend that. But that, that's so beautiful. So where did you meet your wife? Where does that come into play? So we met um, in, what, 2005. And that was, that was a pretty rough year for me. That was like freelancing was not going great it was kind of up and down uh we had both been through pretty mediocre um uh breakups and uh we yeah we met on the south side of pittsburgh and hit it off and have been together for 15 and a half years um and married for what seven seven years i want to say um Oh geez, now I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, so we um, we we hit it off right away. And uh, what happened was she she ended up um, pursuing her doctorate. So I met her when she was finishing undergrad. She's a couple years younger than I am, and uh, and she blasted right through the master's and doctoral program. She would not say blasted; that would not be her verb of choice. Uh, it was very very slow and arduous for her. But as I was essentially waiting for her to to finish, uh, I ended up getting my pursuing my uh, Master of Fine Arts at Chatham University. So I have an MFA in writing um, that I finished like within months of her defending her doctoral dissertation. And by that point, and we were treated very well by our programs. Like we were very happy with our school experiences. And, but like by the end of that, you're just like, you know, we could we just kind of need to get away from it all. And now that we're not anchored by a school, we can kind of go anywhere. Mm. Um, and so I had this notion that, uh, for I had had this notion for years that, uh, that I wanted to spend some time in Costa Rica. And so we used that wedding as an excuse to take three weeks off mm. to explore the country and figure out how we could live there. Oh, uh, and we promptly sold our townhouse and all basically all of our possessions uh, took our two cats in little carriers and flew down to Costa Rica, where I started writing for the English language newspaper, uh, which I did for the next two years. And it was just mind blowing. It was so cool. And she was volunteering at the uh, at El Hospital de los Niños, the, the children's hospital, uh, working with oh, kids. You are like who, a fucking rom com. Uh, <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that? Like, I, we just, this needs to be the opening of like a little couple, a hipster couple in, in, in Pittsburgh. It's like, let's just leave. 
I know they I, were I in the children's met hospital. A lot of people in Pittsburgh who who had done these kinds of things. Like we like we surrounded ourselves with yeah with really dynamic people as as we like to everywhere we go. But um, we like it was really hard to leave that. Believe it or not, it was oh, like can't imagine. Oh, do we leave the Rust Belt to live in like the Central American tropics? Like oh man, yes. this is a tough decision. Uh, and I always said I would never leave Pittsburgh except for um, for the most extraordinary opportunity. So when I got hired by the Tico Times, which is like Central America's like main English language newspaper, they've been around since 57 and um, made a name for themselves because they uh, covered the, the, uh, the Nicaraguan Civil War, mm. basically. Like they were the this community newspaper that like just covered like you know costa rica's you know very very limited news cycle and then all of a sudden they were like the closest news organization to the nicaraguan border as like during the 80s nicaragua was just falling apart so they served as kind of a home base for a lot of these uh for a lot of foreign correspondents and did just incredible work Mm. So like they became a really big deal and had been a big deal ever since. And when I got there, they were in the process of transitioning from a weekly physical newspaper to this like 24 seven online portal. Uh, so I, I just like, they, they said no to almost nothing. Like I got to write so many, just anything I wanted I uh, was just constantly running around the country, like, you know, finding interesting people to interview and mostly doing what I do for Providence Media, like, um, you know, finding like small business owners and arts organizations and, you know, uh, very soft news, but meeting all of these extraordinary personalities. And when I got there, I spoke almost no Spanish. So like developing my Spanish skills as, as I, as I, you know, went along. <laughs> And uh, to this day, I'm astonished that they hired me and I can't believe what they let me do. And by the end, it was about 500 articles that, uh, that I filed for them. And also I got to produce multimedia for them. So I'd gotten into video and I produced something like 50 short videos um, that were just like short documentaries about, you know, little things happening. But it helps run up traffic. It's it helped me yeah. sort of practice that skill, and it was just it was such a blast. I can't even describe what those two years were like, Chris. Were your parents like cool? Yep, that's amazing. Yeah, no, they they were uh, once again. They were just like, this is the time to do it. You you like you have to. We'll visit you, see how long you're going to be there. But like, they're not from Vermont. They moved to Vermont in a very similar way. Uh, Okay. Where they just sort of found this like weird, like like Vermont in the seventies was a totally different place. It was like, you know, the wild West of the Northeast. (laughs) So they, um, so they were very familiar with that impulse uh, having fled the suburbs, you know? Um, And uh, so we had a really good time. And then after almost two years, we're like, you know, this is, this is great, but it's, we don't, uh, we've kind of gotten our fill. Uh, we didn't love the expat culture. Uh, I, we, we have some strong feelings about a lot of the expatriates we met. And, um, and uh, you, you sort of feel like part of the problem after a while. Mm. Um, oh, I can see that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like, you know, prices for everything have skyrocketed and it's just rapidly kind of modernizing in a very uncomfortable way for a, tra- for a traditionally kind of agrarian culture. 
and uh, we knew that we were totally contributing to that. Yeah, you can't, it's not even like you're living in Pittsburgh or like, but it's like, it's a completely different country. Exactly. And <laughs> like, you, yeah. you were not born there and you, you are not of it. You it's know? probably pretty clear everywhere you go to. Exactly. So like people were very, very hospitable and I learned so much, but in the end I was like, we got what we wanted. We feel that we've made a, that our footprint has been very positive. Yeah, if we stay, we we risk turning into people that we don't like. So yeah, uh, and also we were planning on adopting our son, who is who was born in China, and uh, we knew that that was the direction we wanted to take, and it was just kind of too complicated to be in Costa Rica, have a U.S. based oh. service, yeah, and then like be adopting from China, uh, and that's that's the longer story, but. Um, we basically, I was just like, okay, I hate to give up this like dream job, but, um, you know, to my wife, I was like, so where can you find a job? <laughs> and she ended up uh, getting this fairly, uh, fairly solid professorship at, uh, at Arizona State University. So we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, a place we knew absolutely nothing about. Uh, wow. Again, I thought it was in New Mexico. <laughs> Geography, not your strong point? I, well, no, it usually is. These were just like cities that like I, I hadn't given much thought to sure. before I lived there. So, um, so we moved to Phoenix and got a condo kind of sight unseen and um, with all of the savings that we had had from Costa Rica and, um, and adopted our son and spent two years in the desert. How and, old is your son now? He's uh, six and a half. Oh, he's, I love you. I saw your, your biking, that bike. I, I was, my daughter's three and a half, so I'm like, you're a little bit above me, but I'm like, I got to get that bike thing. Felicity's going to love that. Eventually, we'll do a play date, I hope. But, yes, uh, he, he oh, I can't wait. Kids. <laughs> she, she loves big kids. Your son's adorable. Excellent. Again, yeah, Match my, made in heaven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that's, we've definitely, I've, I've definitely, so we struggle with IVF uh, and then eventually had Felicity. And then my wife had a very traumatic birth. So like the idea of doing it the natural way is out of the question, but adoption is definitely something we think and talk about, have talked about more than once. And I think my wife worked with the foster care system in college up here before. She's pretty knowledgeable yeah, okay. of it, but I work in behavioral health where you, as I'm sure you may or may not know, but there's anytime those systems, there's always overlap. So I, I've worked with uh, some adoption agencies or uh, sometimes there's, there's been crossover in those worlds of people. But I mean, fo the foster, foster parents are the most amazing people on earth. I got it. It's just such a, a beautiful thing. It, it warms the heart. And um, which this is, you know, this is going to be so strange, but only you will understand this. Because I know you listened to the episode with uh, Elise I did. And I remember telling her for some reason, you always threw a Zachary Levi vibe at me. I love you. And he's um, Shazam. He also was in Chuck, but he's uh, also in Miss Maisel. He plays the doctor. Wait, he plays who in, in Miss Maisel? Um, he's the doctor in Miss Maisel, the second and third season. Oh, no kidding. Okay. And for some reason, and just I'm like, so embarrassed that I don't know who this is. Oh, you'd be uh, very full. such. He used to be a huge dork, and now he's pop culture. <laughs> he went from like a really dorky actor, then he was on Miss Maisel, and just the most charming man. But then he's also Shazam, which is like a, a DC movie. 
but it has the and it's so funny because it shows the most accurate portrayal of group home foster care system and it's a superhero movie so it wasn't doing that for any other reason it would and no one else watching that movie watched it unless you've had an experience of, of, of like growing up in foster care or working with i've worked in group homes for years and it's so funny i'm like i wonder if that's what it is like you got the the good dad zachary levi vibe going <laughs> Oh, wonderful! Ah, oh, that that well, that makes my day. I'll have to I'll have to look up his movies now. <laughs> Did you watch Miss Maisel? Uh, I I saw the first couple episodes and it was right up my alley. In yeah, so like, many ways, it seems like it's made for you, especially like if you love words. Like um, I actually I never saw Gilmore Girls until after uh, my I got really into Miss Maisel. And my wife turned me on to Gilmore Girls because I just I love the way that the Paladinos just write like the dialogue. Like, I love dialogue. Right, right. Like, just the way they use words, and especially just the hats alone in that show <laughs> would do it for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. No, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why. It's, um, I, don't, I don't know why it is. I'm really picky about TV. Um, I'm lack of it. It's about almost everything that, I, that will take time. Um, Except so, it's not and, writing or making a narrative podcast. Two things that take no time at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's also like so. Like I'm a very slow reader, and I, I know you said you have dyslexia, and that that kind of exists in the in the other branches of my family. Um, and it's it's not that I have dyslexia, but I just read very very slowly and like mm. sort of plod along. So like a book will take forever. And most of my quote unquote reading, and my friends make fun of me about this all the time, but it's usually audible. Like I, I'm almost yeah. always listening to audiobooks. Um, I just, and sometimes, you know, comical selections, like I just finished um, Moby Dick. Uh, <laughs> On purpose? <laughs> I had to do it. I finally got around to it. Uh, but like I, my my joke to to people is, and it's really not a joke, is that I listen faster than I read. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of people are bewildered by that because like a lot of folks are are just capable of devouring a novel in a day. Yeah, can't do it. And I will never understand what that's like. So I'm really picky about the books that like I have a shelf full of books by friends of mine who are authors that I, I haven't read. Sure. <laughs> and like. I bought it to support them and because I want my friends' books on my shelf, but I, I, it, it will take forever to get to them. Um, and it's, it, it'll, it'll take me a month to finish it at least. Um, you could tell your friends who laughed at you that 2019 was the first year where audiobooks outsold written word. No kidding. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Gadwell, when he put out his latest book, the Talking to Strangers yeah. one, he right. did the audiobook in like a documentary podcast format because it's that's so how, good. That it's was I haven't read it yet. I haven't listened to it yet. Cause I still call it read, but I, same thing. I, I just process it. I actually think there's more people like us who process more from the audio than they do from the, the than the reading aspect. Like I it's always been my why I was always attracted to like NP like uh, public radio and like mm. and podcasts. But that's so yeah, it's the it, the, there's the medium, um, the audio. I mean, we are literally uh, plugged for our buddy Sean. Uh, we are in an age of audio, like literally. Like, it's not since um, not since Gutenberg have, has has the written word not been the thing. Like, there's been a like a, a seismic shift, and now audio is more powerful than written at this at this moment, commercially and otherwise. It's interesting. That's a really interesting comment, and it's a debate that I get into all the time um, because. So, so you, you always end up with like some, you know, very respected literary author 
who makes some grand statement like nobody reads anymore and like you know the the heyday of the novel is over and like you know for mm -hmm. for hundreds of years like you know people clung to literature and that was our that was our voice and our humanizing medium and and all of that stuff and and i'm like you know i don't think that's right because most people couldn't read until the mid 19th century <laughs> And then, like, books weren't affordable by anyone until 1900. And, like, popular books, like, books that just, like, anyone could buy from the dime store, like, were came with the paperback, which didn't come along until the 30s. So, like, you know, the very idea that people were reading great literature at the, you know, by the fireside, like, all the time <laughs> is just so preposterous to it me. It is. Uh, and there was a heyday, but I think it was really like the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and maybe 60s. Like, I mean, that's like 40 years after out of the 500,000 years that humans have existed. Right. Um, so <laughs> I, I just... Yeah, Matt, Matt proved your point right there. <laughs> um, now, that said, I, I think reading is wonderful. And one of the more criminal aspects of the 21st century um, is that, like... I feel kind of guilty when I'm reading a book, like actually picking up a book and reading it mm. because I, I start getting really antsy. Like there's something else I should be doing that is more important or more pressing. And that this is like this unspeakable naughty luxury yeah. that I'm looking at words and absorbing them for the mere pleasure of doing so. And that, that really upsets me when I have that feeling. Cause I, I'm just like, why would reading be so unthinkable? Know, it's you know? so strange. I mean, that's like people who like, if, who don't like collect people like with vinyl, like vinyl collectors and stuff. Like, um, like I'm not uh, huge into it, but I do have a, I, I did get into, I had a little bit of a phase, but like, um, you know, it's like the same thing. Why don't I just ever sit down and put on a record anymore, even though it's Spotify. I mean, I do do it sometimes, but um, you know, it's, I don't know. I think the idea of a book or a record is about this like fantasy of time. Like one day I'm going to sit down and spend all of my focus on that one thing. And as someone with ADHD, right. that's a, that's like a bit of a fantasy for me. That's not something I'm able to do very well. <laughs> it's one of the thousand like unexpected positives of this year. Yeah, is that I've been reading a lot more. And, you know, as as work has scaled back, and as, uh, you know, we, we've just been kind of forced indoors. Um, you know, once you kind of run out of stuff on Netflix, it's like, well, why wouldn't I read a book? And it's not as social, but when you're stuck with the same, you know, tiny little bubble of people, every single day for months on end, Whoa. it's like, they'll forgive you for not you know, they'll forgive you for wanting to break away and indulge something like a book. Yeah. And I've just loved that. Like, I mean, weirdly enough, and I, of course, I don't want coronavirus to, to stay, and I wish it had never existed in the first place. But like, it's one of those virtues that I've really embraced is like the slowing down and the appreciation of like, I mean, your home, like so, so many of us don't even spend meaningful, thoughtful time at home. It's just like, did. well, this is where I crash crash out <laughs> like, oh yeah and um just sort of like wander into days between work sessions or you know driving around and doing stuff that i have to do and i've i've just it's it's almost i i'm not a very uh, i'm not a religious person at all but like it it borders on a spiritual reckoning it almost feels oh, yeah. like an intelligent design you know <laughs> no it sounds like like from my it just sounds like you found mindfulness essentially is when you read 
Yeah, and and it was you know it was always there, and usually I get that when I'm either traveling or bicycling. Um, you know, a when when state. I'm biking, it's it's just it's such a perfect rhythm for interacting with the world and oh not God, yeah. actually um, doing anything. You know, <laughs> like, the the best the best thing that I mean for humans have been altering our our, our conscious or subconscious either with um, breathing techniques or or some sort of like like some sort of drug of some sort, like, but all we, all we all are always all trying to do is just trying to find a way to find that flow state where like, um, I always think of community, like there is a moment when in between space and in between time, like, you know, like you're not like when you're biking, you're just, you're not thinking. And it is the best feeling in the entire world. There's nothing Absolutely. better. There's just, Oh God. I, I think of, um, inception sometimes i'm like god maybe i would live in that world it does look nice <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the other one uh my, my friend my friend lenny in pittsburgh is this extraordinary writer and journalist and he's he's a very like i don't know if he'd appreciate being called this but he's, he's a very vice news kind of guy like you i know, know exactly what you mean oh man he just he will interact routinely with just the scariest people and feel very at home and write just really, really thoughtful stuff about it. He's become a podcaster too. His podcast is great. Um, What's his name? But, uh, his name is Lenny Flatley. And I can't remember the name of his podcast, but it's, it's about conspiracy theories um, and that uh-huh. whole kind of movement. Um, but he's just, he's just a really neat guy. And I think of him as, as pretty fearless. And at one point we were just hanging out, having beers, you know, at some one bar or another in Pittsburgh. And he was like, why do you like to travel? Like, why do you travel? And, and I was like, well, you know, to me, it's really obvious. And he's like, because I hate it. I hate traveling. I hate being uncomfortable uh, I hate going to a place where I don't know how anything works. I can't stand it when I can't speak the language. Like, why are you drawn to those things? And I was like, you know, it never even occurred to me to ask that before, but the answer was so immediate and felt so good to say, and that's that I pay attention. Like you are so hyper aware of your environment and the expressions of people and what mm. they're doing. And uh, what, what's often called the achistics of a place, the, the rhythm of it, um, it's, you're just so tuned in and so uh, you, you kick into a kind of really mild survival mode that I find so addictive. Yeah. I, I could oh, yeah. just travel probably for years and never get tired of that feeling. Oh, yeah. Man, you remember my, my old neighbor, Will, was like that. He, he was part, I think he was on his way to being part of the 100 country club. Like he's visited a hundred countries, nice. but of course none of them were one I'd want to, like when we were working together, we, we were neighbors, his friend and neighbor and coworker at one point, but he was going to take a long trip to like all over the world. And I forgot where he went, but I remember it was the only time someone's ever explained to me there. They're, they're like, they had gone through a traumatic experience of loss of their parents. They had some time and money and they're like, fuck it. They're older. And they're like, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and Turkmenistan. And he was mad that he couldn't get into North Korea and he was going to sneak into like, I was like, and I remember his girlfriend, he was mad because his girlfriend wanted to, to them to meet in Germany. And he was like mad that he had to go to Germany. I'm like, well, that's the only place on that list of places I'd want to go. Um, like he's the only person I know who's been to Syria. He, he's Syrian, but wow. he, who's non-CIA, non 
military. Like he, perfect, like, I don't know. Have you ever listened to Henry Rollins speak at all? He's uh, very extreme, but he, he's like that too. He goes to everywhere all over the world. He'll like just pick up for like three months by himself and just travel alone. But I, I wonder for that, do you, is that, do you like that? Like, um, like the rush or is it that just not thinking and being out of your head? Cause I like, I still get that when I go to New York or like really big cities. I'm like, yeah, like the energy really gets me. But then I find myself not thinking about, oh, I got to do this or, or my social anxiety or anxieties or like the, 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 the bad thoughts stay away. Cause you're just, I'm so focused on, I got to get here and I got to take this left and like, and then the adventure can find itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's problem solving. It's, uh, it's meeting people. It's, you know, figuring out how, how other people's, how other people live. So I think to, to draw it back, the, um, it connects very naturally to writing. Mm -hmm. I used to say, um, there was, you know, it, it was a joke, but it was like, you know, 10% joke and 90% truth was like, I don't understand why anyone would do anything if they weren't writing about it. Like, I mean, it's, it's like why I've done almost, I, I mean, a, a lot of the more ambitious things that I've done is, is they all turned into writing projects. Mm. And if they didn't, it, it was just like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why? Like, uh, and, and it's, it's, I, I, I don't use the term addiction lightly. Like I, I think it, it is, it's such a thrill and it's so like, it gives you such an unnatural high that like, especially as I am in middle age uh, and the paradigm. Bars are lower nowadays. Uh, yeah. You, you have to be a little, <laughs> quite a bit more careful and conserved, uh, conservative about it. But um, yeah, I just, uh, I really like, I like the idea of, so when, when I, when I've met people through journalism um, and it's every, everywhere I've moved. So, uh, you know, Pittsburgh was freelance writing and writing about the city for more than a decade. Yeah. And then Costa Rica was specifically meant to, you know, we moved there in order for me to do this newspaper job. And then as soon as I got to Phoenix, I was, I was writing about it. Um, I was picked up by the Phoenix New Times. Uh, my uh, the editor over there, Amy Silverman, like you know, basically hired me before I showed up. She just saw what I had done before and was like, "When you get here, come to our editorial meeting, and we will give you something to do." Like it, it was just, it was wonderful. Uh, that was where I I did a little uh, assistant producing for um, for the public radio station. And so everywhere I've, I've gone, I've just gotten this incredible crash course because you have to speak with authority about a place, even if you're new. Mm. And like journalists are doing this all the time. Like they're constantly getting hired by, by a business or an entity in a place that they don't live. And then they move there and then they have to describe it in sometimes molecular detail and that's within a couple of weeks of getting used to it. It's just like, okay, so this is the highway I take to work. And this is how all these things work and all these relationships. Mm. And like, you just, you just really have to study it closely, really fast. And like, I, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Uh, and th that was the same with, with Rhode Island. Like uh, I had to, you know, uh, I was writing for five different magazines covering different parts of Rhode Island, all owned by the same company. And you had to become an expert in the whole state very, very quickly. And like, I'm not from here. I don't know any, I didn't know anything about Rhode Island. 
Um, at one point, someone said in an editorial meeting, it's, they referenced uh, Wayland Square. And I was like, oh yeah, I heard there was a bad area. And they just looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, that's like, that, like, what are you thinking Wayland Square is that's like the poshest neighborhood in, in yeah. all of the East Side? Um, <laughs> but like, you know, you, you have to make mistakes like that in order sure. to like get everything figured out. It's the risk you run. But um, it was just, it was so great. And the one stop in between was when my wife got a job in Boston. Okay. So she was, um, ASU was not uh, ideal. She's a medical doctor, is that correct? No, she's a, she's a behaviorist. So she oh. works with kids with autism. I mean, this movie is now writing its third act, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's way more interesting than I am. But um, yeah, no, yeah, she- Can we get her on here, people? Come on. No, uh, my brother-in-law is on the autism spectrum too. Um, my, oh, no kidding. All right. Uh, Al, uh, he's uh, um, probably more, I, I, I guess, would probably very high function, probably even be more Asperger's. -y. Right. But, uh, and I, I've worked with that population when I was younger too. I used to be a mentor for autistic teens and stuff like that. Oh, no uh, kidding. All yeah. right, cool. I, I just have such a special place in my heart for the autistic community. They're just the sweetest, funniest group of people you'll ever meet. Like if just, they're so it's funny. Such a, such a, it's such a fascinating way of looking at the world. And she's been so drawn to um to autism spectrum disorder since she was i think fascinating 15. like she also always knew that this was what she wanted to do and went to the university of pittsburgh and actually did her entire education there almost straight through through her doctorate in special education wow. um and now is a bcba which is like a very this Jesus. very high certification and so she ended up um she was teaching that at asu and then ended up with this offer from uh simmons university which has for this field the second best program in the nation mm. uh, so to to teach there on you know and what what i believe is a tenure track position is just i mean it's it's outlandish so she was like and, gotta do it. is that how you ended up yeah. um, you, you moved to boston from there we did. And that was the only downside is that I don't love Boston. <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, you know, I, I have deep respect for Boston. Uh, and I kind of like the the kind of, um, I, I'm not sure how to put it, the, the sort of like uh, rough and tumble nature of Boston. <laughs> uh, but it, it is not my town. It is like, we, we have no chemistry. I do not fit in, uh, despite the way I look, which of I was course gonna say, you look like you could be from Boston. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I look like I walked right out of Southie, uh, you know, especially if I put a hoodie on and like really put on the accent thick. It's like, Ew. yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to get some crawlers. Anybody want some? Get some coffee too. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an attitude that, you know, I, I kind of admire from afar the same way I, I like a lot of things from afar, but I like that was just a hard year in Boston. I made we we left there for for Providence and I had made no friends. Like there was no one to say goodbye to. We said goodbye to our neighbor um who was from he was from Israel. He was Palestinian and um owned a restaurant I guess somewhere in Boston and like never invited us to the restaurant. We knew Dick. nothing about this family. They they were like yeah. nice but like 
It's always so like, hi, good to see you, close the door. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that was our whole experience. That's so New England, right? Because <laughs> you're from Vermont, New England. I'm from Connecticut. Like, Connecticut masks very close off, and then once you get in, there's a gooey center, but it, it, there's a lot to get through. I, I totally concur. So, uh, and, and I wasn't going to wait around for that. It, it could have taken years. So, um, so I got the job at the magazine uh, as, oh. at first as an assistant editor. Um, actually, I have to backtrack. I'm sorry. And I know this might require some editing for you, but it was a weird turn of events because we moved to Boston and I knew I was against like every Ivy leaguer in the world for a job. Like I, we were not moving for my job. Sure. And I'm like, Oh, like, what am I going to do in Boston? Like I, and I sent out like something like 35 resumes, like, you know, got no word back from anyone. Uh, just as I had expected living in this really mediocre apartment for like $2,000 a month, like just really, really unpleasant experience. And on a whim, because I had been to Providence once, I sent my CV to the University of Rhode Island, their English department, to see if they had any need for someone to teach there. And they wrote me the next day and said, would you be interested in teaching screenwriting? Do you have any experience teaching screenwriting? And so I had taught playwriting at Duquesne University for five years. And, um, and I, I, you know, I had studied fiction and, and I knew, and I know a lot about film. So it's just like, yeah, like I, I can teach them how to write a screenplay. I, I, I don't, I've never made a movie. <laughs> like none of, none of this, I've written screenplays before, but like they've never turned into films. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah. You know, like, I mean, as long as you can teach them like the format and like, you know, the three act structure and, you know, all the, all the stuff that goes into character development and um, budgets and all of the things you have to think about as a screenwriter. I'm like, sure. Like, I would love that. So I was, I didn't know that URI is not in Providence. <laughs> so I was driving from West Roxbury. Holy fuck past Providence, another 45 minutes to URI. So it was an hour and a half each way. And then I don't know if you've been to URI campus, but like the parking is deadly. So then like, I would have to like find a place to park somewhere on this campus uh, and then teach my class for like an hour and 15 minutes. And I have to say, I loved it. Like I loved the time in the car. I loved the changing leaves. Like it was like fall semester. It like, it was, it was this very adventurous thing twice a week that I, I would journey to the, to the Southern reaches of Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. I teach class with these, I mean, just wonderful, engaged, super imaginative undergrads. Um, and then, and then drive back and I was like, okay, like, this is great, but I am making nothing at this. Like this, this, I'm spending all of my money on gas and parking and like, this is absurd. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that, but it had broken the ice with Rhode Island. And I kind of had a sense of the geography and the, the mentality here. So on a whim, I, I wrote to, uh, to Providence Monthly and was like, hey, I freelance for a bazillion places. Would you be interested in a freelancer? And God bless her, Julie Tremaine wrote me back and said, hey, I just looked at your CV and um, would you be interested in, an, in a full-time editor position? Because like, yeah, sure, you can freelance for us, but like we could really use someone with, with your background. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is our ticket out of Boston. Um, this, is, uh, this is an excuse to move to a really cool state. Um, I like, let's see if that works. So I put 
we we had a we had a lease for the next whatever it was like eight months. So I put eight thousand miles on our car, Jesus. driving back and forth from Boston to Pawtucket, where the office was, uh, just all up and down ninety five every single business day, so that uh, through like snowstorms, through oh, yeah. sleet. <laughs> Yep. to to put in my eight hours a day at, at, at the office and put together these magazines for a state I didn't even live in um, and like didn't know very well and I had just it, it was it was a really hard year but it like we we like when we left Boston and like the movers came in to like pack up all of our mostly not unpacked stuff <laughs> like, yeah, we, we yeah. barely opened a box in Boston. It was all just kind of like, you know, piles of, of luggage. Um, the, uh, like the movers threw all their, all, all of our stuff in the truck and we're just like, oh, we're moving to the place, to the place we want to live for a long time. And what and year was, was this? What's that? What year were you working? That then? was 2018. I think it was 2018. Oh, you've only been down here that long for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been like two and a half years. Oh, <laughs> I had no idea. 2017, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. A, it, we have not been here very long. Um, and you know, uh, Rhode Island and Pittsburgh have that in common, where it's like if you don't have seven generations of family there, then like you're not actually from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and and you know, I, I, I say that you know in, in humor, but um, but it's true. I'm a, I'm a very recent kind of visitor here so that's um, too funny and you're also like the critique of our culture with your magazine writing oh my god i thought you were from here <laughs> it's, it's such a fun state to get to know it's exactly my temperament and um it's we weird. thought about moving back to pittsburgh and really wanted to but um the job market was not quite what we what we were hoping for at this stage in our lives so um, I like Rhode Island could not possibly be a better consolation prize. It's just, it's, it's so close to home. It's so familiar, but it's also, you know, we get to discover something new every day. It's so, it's so fun. You travel, like I still like, I still feel like a tourist when I'm in Newport, even though it's my home state now for a decade. You cross that bridge and it's just like, what is this? Yeah. Or like the East Bay or even the fact that like three, the majority of our state is covered in trees, but no one ever thinks that. Right. You go to Burville, like I, before COVID, like my job requires a lot of travel throughout the state. So like on any given day, I'll start in like Providence or Cranston and then I'll be like in Newport, Middlebury. There's been days I've done the entire state and it's just like, it's this big, but it looks so different. It's It's so um, true. It's incredible. That's so, that's so, that's so, what a journey, man. And then, so then that would speed you up. And then you're like, you know what? I hate free time. So I'll start a narrative podcast. (laughs) So that, um, so this, this whole short story, this, this whole fiction enterprise started uh, actually in Costa Rica. And it was basically no one told me that the sun goes down at five o'clock in the in the afternoon like basically every single day because it's so close to the equator oh and that the rainy season is it i thought it was going to be like forest gump where it just like rains and rains and rains like every minute of the day all day you know for months on end and it's more like it starts in the afternoon and it just goes all night 
Um, so you have like sunny mornings, and but they're long nights. They're long, especially in the rainy season, long rainy nights. So like you couldn't really go anywhere, and like you know it's kind of drumming on the tin roof, and you're like, like it, again, you run out of Netflix, and uh, I was missing Pittsburgh, and I just had this weird desire for even two years before that to sort of revive Pulp Fiction. Um, I love I love the 1920s. I love that it was sort of the heyday for these kind of uh, you know hard-boiled detective stories slash um, kind of supernatural stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Conan the Barbarian. Mm. Um, these sort of hastily written, but extremely engaging, thrilling stories. And what I think is so funny is, I, I honestly believe is they, they, they never went out of style. It's just that other things covered them up. It's just like, well, am I gonna sit here and like read this story or am I going to watch this newfangled thing called a television, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I really like the idea of doing that. I was writing them just for myself. And um, I, I just had this notion that I wanted to have a, a character like Dorothy Parker, who, you know, is just this like New Yorker writer. She's a wit, she's very, very funny. She's very snarky. Uh, she's a flapper, so you know she has like the most awesome fashion ever created for women. Um, and I wanted her to be this kind of like globe-trotting adventurer, and um, and it, and basically to entertain any genre I wanted. And the only way to do that was to make it extremely light science fiction that takes place in the twenties. And uh, I basically called Dorothy Parker meets the X Files. It's just like kind of moody, macabre. <laughs> suspenseful, thrilling stories that um, are, you know, kind of hint at real world stuff, but are, are mostly, um, are mostly for fun, mm. um, but are also not funny. Like the, she's witty, but they're hopefully legitimately suspenseful circumstances um, and have a sort of kitchen sink realism when you are not encountering like vampires and zombies and stuff. Um, but even then, like, you know, hopefully it, it has this sort of grittiness, this sort of realness that, uh, that I really liked. So I was writing those and um, I, I actually published a few in these kind of like weird online journals. Um, and it was sort of an embarrassing thing because I'm like, oh, like, this is my fun project while I'm also like a fairly seriously trained journalist and literary, you know, fiction writer. Um, like, what am I doing? <laughs> But uh, but I, I I can never just write for fun. I, I have to show it for people to people eventually. Um, so uh, honestly, I was going to give up on it because like no one seemed very interested in this kind of thing. And then I was like, you know, I I love I love podcasting. I love audiobooks. I'm just going to do kind of a serialized audiobook with mood music. You know, just very simple. I really missed the theater. I, I missed acting. And as a parent, like acting is just a very difficult thing to do theater is basically all at night which is oh yeah when you should be seeing your child <laughs> so um so i was like you know th this is a way to do all of that stuff on my own at home I and uh and i uh it was what four years ago that i posted the first story arc so five different episodes serialized um, and uh, just kind of to see what would happen. And by, I think it was within that month, I had gotten a thousand downloads. 
Damn. And I was just like, whoa, like it was, it was by, um, so it was October, it was by Thanksgiving. I was just like, I just broke 1000 downloads. I can't believe it. Like, who are these people yeah. who are finding this? And of course, like the, my platform um, gives me a map of the world that shows yep. where people are downloading it. And I'm just like, so people are hearing this in Australia. Like people are hearing this in, in Germany. Like I, it's mind blowing to me that, that they're finding it, uh, much less listening to it. So that was, that was very encouraging. And I was just like, well, I might as well do some more. So I just produced my 50th episode this summer. And I am at, I'm almost at 80,000 downloads. Wow. We, I'm glad to hear you say that as a podcaster. I was really shocked. <laughs> that narrative is done so well. Yeah. 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 And I, like most of them, I don't know who they are. Like most of my friends promise to listen to it and don't. And that's totally cool. It's weird to hear your friend like tell you a story <laughs> um, oftentimes, but it's, uh, but whoever they are, whoever these listeners are, um, I, I've just been so pleased and grateful to them because it, it just keeps it going. And it's, it's like literally just like throwing fuel into a fire Right. Uh, they might be burning anyway, but it, it burns all the fiercer because of them. Oh, I mean, it's such a good platform as well because it could turn into so many other things which you are talented at doing down the road too. So it's such a good place you throw it out there and then be like, maybe one day this is like a TV show or a movie or this is a play or like it's, it's you know, the, the repurpose of content. Um, I do want to be respectful of our time because I forgot to look at it because I'm not... Uh, I, I don't, sometimes I'm more engaged with other guests than others, but like, I wasn't, I didn't think the whole time. I just kind of blacked out for the last hour and a half. So that's a good sign. You can be the first person that I tell this, um, because I, I made an announcement on the podcast, but again, I, I don't know who my listeners are. So you're the first person I know who will hear this. Yes. So I just, uh, effectively self-published a book, but it was the first three stories Sorry, it was the first two stories from the, from the podcast and then an additional one uh, that no one has ever heard or seen. And they've all been gathered into this book, uh, The Woman in the Sky and Other Stories. Uh, it is available uh, in paperback and Kindle and soon an audiobook. I, I, I'm in the process of putting that together. Uh, I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy with how it looks. Um, and that was, that was released uh, a few days ago. So that is, that is now available. But here's the exciting part is that it's the first of six publishing events Jesus. that will take place over the course of the next year. So from Jesus. October 2020 to October 2021, there will be a new project of this type every two months. Oh, wow. I expect to be getting those email blasts from uh, Jillian and yes, Jody from the club. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations and all, all, all of this. Uh, I'm sure uh, we'll be doing something of, of nature of this in some, in some capacity in, as, their, as the future continues on. Uh, I, I, I'm so, yeah. so uh, excited for you, man. I'm so glad that I finally got to tell someone because it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And it's, it's largely an answer to this year. Like I've just needed something to look forward to and to, um, and it's nice to kind of just focus creative energy on, on a thing that's so manageable and so, um, so direct. Yeah. I'm in the complete opposite where I'm going like taking this manageable hobby to, to a place of driving myself nuts. So it's nice to talk to someone on the opposite <laughs> side of it. 
which it is certainly so like you got to have a good outlet and you know and oh my god that's and and i think you know narrative works so much better because uh it's a show where you want to find an audience you're going to find an audience the longer it exists because of the like a netflix show some people like wait till you want to catch up <laughs> you know you don't want to wait right, for seasons. Right. yeah so oh i wish you oh, I, um oh, that's some oh, congratulations man um where can people find you online Okay, so my personal website is uh, just roberteisenberg.net. Um, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, a lot of people want to put the, put the E at the beginning of Eisenberg, um, which leads to endless confusion at, at, uh, when I make hotel reservations. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the, uh, this whole enterprise, The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown, you can go to elizabethcrown.net. And there's a whole bunch of fun stuff on there, um, introducing you to the to this world and um, links to uh, to the books themselves, and uh, lots of little blog posts from uh, that sort of uh, explore you know what what goes on in uh, in this alternate 1920s. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I'll be curious your thoughts, actually. Yeah, I cannot wait to, to explore this further. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Oh, excellent! Oh, thank you so much, and uh, have a good rest of your night. Uh, let me just turn Chris, I'm so glad this finally worked out. <laughs>